Abba Yahweh, a new day, another new day that you have permitted me to draw breath that you put in my lungs to raise up from my rest and to go through this day. Guide my steps, Father. Help me to be strong, bold, courageous, and upright in your words, your truth, knowledge, and wisdom for my brothers and sisters, and any that would have a spiritual hearing, that they hear not only the words, but listen to the truth that you send. Father God, Abba Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, Parakletos Aman. So I'm going to share something. I, I'm not exactly sure why. Didn't ask him. I'm sure if I did, he'd tell me. But there's a purpose for my being here in this place in the Bible. And I'm in Jeremiah 28. And... I'm going to read, some of you may know of this and may not, and that's okay, it doesn't matter because I'm trying to help clarify the best I can. Through the Spirit of the Lord, amen. So Jeremiah was a very strong and powerful prophet and delivered really powerful words of God. Jeremiah was also um, very overcome in knowing that Jerusalem had been destroyed. He was a very powerful man of God. God loved Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was able to accomplish many things, including the rebuilding of Jerusalem. You might have heard the story of uh, him being in service to the king during their captivity. But the one that I'm brought to and that I'm, I'm going to share with you is because this is, this is exactly what's going on in the world today. And there are many that say that the Bible has to be rewritten to be more relevant to our day and time that it was different back then and different now let me let me clarify before i read these scriptures i'm going to clarify something for you the city of ephesus where young timothy was and and we're gonna i'm gonna share with you from second timothy i've shared with you from that point a lot but paul was in prison in rome when he wrote to timothy and this is just before Paul was killed, martyred. And I'm sharing this with you to show that there are many out there and, and times are not so different. But the city of Ephesus was much like many of our large cities, metropolitan areas are today. You can compare it in notes to Detroit, to um, Philly, to and there, the city of Ephesus was surrounded by uh, idol worship, false gods, false deities, 
The church was constantly under attack. Many of the churches that you see that are attempting to do right in places are being attacked and that you have many that are sugarcoating the gospel and they're treading very lightly because of their fear. They become fearful. They're not stepping out in boldness and courage with God and wearing the full armor of God as they've been called to do. But when they step out, they do so in a partial in a partial way. And I'm going to share this with you. This is uh, Jeremiah 28, and I'm going to read from 15. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest the people to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. And some of you out there with your weak and heart conditions, that's okay. As I share the truth, this is in the word of God. It's his truth. Hananiah was going out and he was teaching falsely. He was lying to the people, convincing them that what he had to say was coming from God. They believed him and they rebelled and many were worshiping false idols. In the city of Ephesus, the same thing was going on. The church was surrounded, surrounded by idol worshipers, false deities, gods. You had the Romans were on, on one part and they were worshiping their false gods and deities. And then you had the Greeks on the other side and you had the people in Ephesus. And then you had members of the were Jews, but they were following false gods and deities. They were worshiping Balaam. They're familiar. You're familiar with him. There was a time when Israel was standing really hard in the midst of worship to Balaam. And the really sad part about that is that they were sacrificing their children. Whew. That's That's a hard one. But brothers and sisters, let me ask you something right now. If you are disobeying God and you are not teaching your children the way they should walk, the path that they should be on, and you're allowing them to do what they do, be disobedient, not disrespectful, not following the laws and the guidelines. And if you as a parent are not teaching that, and if you are coming from church and you're allowing these things to happen, allowing your children to be, or in your attempt to be their friend and not their parent, are you doing them any bit of good? You are sacrificing. I Yes, I say that word again. And if this really gets your knickers all twisted up, well, so be it. 
You get offended, so be it. Don't want to listen anymore, so be it. But I'm going to share with you truth. I'm going to share with you the power of the word of God. And I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'm going to come at you and it might come hard. Don't want to listen, turn off the button. I've shared it with you before. I don't care, but I'm going to still tell you the truth. If you do this to your children and you allow your children and you do not parent your children and you do not raise them up in the way that they should go and the path that they should walk on, you are sacrificing your children. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, my children are good. My, my boys and girls are good boys and girls. Yeah, right. And what are they doing when they're not around you? And what are they doing when they're away from you? And you can see your children 24-7. Sound kind of harsh, but listen to what I'm telling you. Look at all these things that are going on. You have cyberbullying. And even the good boys and girls, they get on there and they do what they're wanting to do. And they talk to other children the way that they want to talk to them. And your children, oh, they don't ever bully anybody. But yeah, they do. And I'm not saying that all children do that thing. There are some children that are very good and grandma and grandpa taught them right. And they pay attention to this, to the lessons in Sunday school. They pay attention because their heart is pulled by the Holy Spirit. Mom and dad might be slothful and lazy. That's mom and dad. They made a choice. But why are you gonna sacrifice your children? And then there are those that demand that their children give them respect, but they show no respect to anyone. They show no respect to grandma and grandpa. Their mother and father, they treat them like so much. They mistreat, they talk badly, and the children hear it. They pay attention. They hear how you talk to your mother and father, and then you turn around and you get upset with them when they slip up and talk to you the same way? And then you're going to say, well, what's he talking about that for? Because it's in the Bible. That's why. The Bible talks about that. Jesus tells us, Jesus, our Lord, who came and hung on the cross and was sacrificed for us while we were still at enmity with him that he came and died for us, tells us that in the days coming before he returns, it will be this way, that the children will rise up against their fathers, daughters against mothers, sons against fathers, and that families will turn in their own brothers and that they will fight against them, even unto death. There will be a warfare that goes on. And why is this happening? This is happening because the blamer, the deceiver, the liar, the one that comes from the pit, Satan drives this onward into mammon. Mammon's heart is filled with darkness loves the dark. And why is this so keen? This is keen because Satan 
wants us to be separated from God. He does not want us to have what God wants to give to us. And the thing that really ticks off Satan real hard is that it's free. God wants to give it to us. The only thing that he asks us to do is to be about his business and share the word with others. But because the others are going to be like Hananiah, Jeremiah chastised him for that, but going to be on, they're going to go out and they don't want to share the word or they're going to go out and they're going to give half-truths. They're going to share lies and they're going to share things that put themselves above or make themselves look good. And that's not what we're about. We're about the truth. If you are a true believer, if you are indeed a Christian of Christ, from Christ, and that is the anointed of God, if you are a true believer, then you will be speaking the truth. You will be sharing the truth. You won't be like the false prophet, sharing lies and deceit and telling them it's okay for white lies. And uh, You don't have to tell your children to do that. They, they can get away here. You, you tell them that they can do this as long as it's not. No, it's not okay. If it's a lie, it's a lie. If it's not according to the word of God, then it's wrong. It's contrary. So why are you going to share and be contrary to the word of God? Because you're slothful and lazy. You don't want to be out and doing your father's business. Well, that Raven guy, he's coming hard today. Yeah, you better believe I am. Why? Because it tells us, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now, straight up, that I see the time clock is advancing. It is advancing. Things are happening according to the word of God, according to prophecy. That we need to be in preparation and be doing that thing. Hebrews 3, here's, here, <laughs> took me right here. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, for God called us. Our anointings are different, but he's called us all to be about his business. See, this is where people get mixed up with things. God calls us all. When you are saved and you say, yes, I want to accept Jesus Christ as the only begotten son of God. And yes, I want to accept the fact that he died on the cross for me. And yes, I want to have faith in you. And yes, I want the Holy Spirit to guide my steps. When you do that, you are answering the call that God put to you. He might anoint you to do something different than somebody else. But this is where it goes. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ, anointed of God, Jesus, Savior. That's what that name means. Christ, anointed of God, Jesus, Savior. Book of Hebrews, Paul wrote that. And we need to consider that. He is of our profession, what does that mean? Well, a lot of people consider jobs, a, they call that their profession, what they do to make money. But here's what it means biblically. 
We profess that we want to believe Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. We want to profess that our faith is in God and the Holy Spirit to guide our steps. We are professing that. We're making it an open statement that others know. So in our profession, Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. He died for our sakes. He was executed by those he came to save because they rebuked him, they ridiculed him, they belittled him, and they didn't want to believe him. Why? Because of their arrogance and their knowing more than the truth. Look around you today, brothers and sisters. Look around you today. Look at all these individuals. They like to call themselves woke. They're not they're not awake, they're just woke. We only know everything. I made that into a little anagram because that's what they profess. They know everything and everything is wrong if it doesn't agree with them. Everything is wrong and we know that, so we're woke. You have a lot of individuals that profess that. That doesn't mean they're awake. That means they're sleepwalking. If you were awake, you would know that Jesus is the only begotten son of God and he came and he died for us, that he sacrificed himself for us. But you have individuals that claim to be this woke society and they, they're, they're claiming that the churches are all racist and that everything about the church is racism. And they try to profess that a lot, except, you know, what I have learned in growing up in my years that I have been on this, that God has allowed me to walk this plane of existence is that the ones who usually cry racism the loudest, the most, often are filled with this poison. They're filled with this poison. It, it flows out of their ears and all the open orifices of their body. Scream and cry about it the loudest, and yet when you listen to anything that is said that they are professing that, we are to profess and show out the light of the Lord in this dark place. Brothers and sisters, you don't want to see it and you refuse to see it and you say it isn't happening. I would pray that the scales fall from your eyes and look around. Doesn't mean everything is doomsday and they say, you know, quit being a doom and gloomer. You got to stop doing it. Yeah, there's things that are here because we are in a broken plane of existence. The Bible tells us that. it is. Why is it broken? It's broken because mammon has put their hands in everything and tried to do it and fix it, and they wind up tearing it apart and doing the wrong thing. Remember I shared with you in Hebrews 11 that uh, some of the theological wizards like to call it the Hall of Faith. But when you read through the Hall of Faith, you see that many of the names that are in there, and if you read their backstory and you go back to the Old Testament, you read their history, they started out not so faithful. They, they learned faith. They learned that it was better to have faith in God than to do things on their own. But many of those listed wanted to do it on their own. And they, didn't, they weren't ready to pay attention. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Sorry about that. 
So, I mean, you look, just look in history. You can you can go back in biblical history and you see that many of the names are written there. And a lot of people like to jump all over the negativity of individuals. First thing when you try to share with them how powerful the individuals are. David, for instance, one of the first things that comes out of people's mind. Yeah, yeah, but look, yeah, but look what he, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. You sound almost like some kind of a jungle creature. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. What's that called? That's called the negative sloth. That's what that's called. Didn't want to go out and do anything. Didn't want to read the word of God. Didn't want to share the truth. Doesn't want to do what God called to do. And then wants to point out negativity in those leaders who are very powerful in word. They're the Yabbats. Yeah, but David did this. Yeah, but David did that. Well, yeah, but what are you doing? Let me tell you this about that. You aren't doing anything to further the truth. If you are a slothful, lazy, reclining chair, sitting individual, and you claim to be a Christian, and you are a self-proclaimed Christian, then you are just plain despicable. You are no different than Hananias. And you go out, and whatever you do share is not whole and honest. I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh. But if you're not sharing the truth, and you're not doing what God called you to do, how are you helping anything or anyone? You need to share the truth. Most of society today, and I think that's an honest statement, in my perception, that's a, a totally honest statement, is most of society today prefers to believe the lies and untruths that are told by, look around, the politicians and other people and, and these individuals that claim to be so woke and knowing, but yet those individuals are not, but they claim to be. And what are they doing? They're, they're pushing and pandering derision, separation, derisiveness, hatred, Oh my gosh, the hatred that is out there. And even when you go downtown and everything seems beautiful in its own way, like the song would say, and you go and you hear and you just listen and you be around, you will hear truths being shared. Brothers and sisters, I pray for you daily for your strength and your uprightness and your courage in the word, you must be strong. You must have on the armor that God made for you and you cannot profess, I don't need to wear armor because I'm not a warrior and the Bible says in the end, it says that we all win anyway. Well, don't be such a lazy bum. Get up out of that recliner. Walk away from watching that game and sucking down your suds with your buddies and you're supposed to be at a prayer meeting, but the kickoff was more important than, you know, the six or eight 12-packs that are sitting there with everybody coming down. They were going to barbecue. And in the meantime, your wife and kids went to the prayer meeting. Or let's throw it the other way so you don't get knickers all twisted up about things. Is that your 
husband went to the prayer meeting and you and the girls are sitting down and you're drinking wine and giggling and laughing about stuff instead of being at the prayer meeting. It goes in both directions, brothers and sisters. It goes in both directions. But don't be lazy about the word of God. And we are called. Be the warrior that God called you to be. And the Bible tells us that we are in a spiritual warfare. Why would God say that if we weren't? So you have determined, you have made determination that God was mistaken and you don't have to do anything. That we're not in a spiritual warfare and that God didn't make the armor for us that we should make sure that we put on and make sure that our shoe would, before we go out into the world and wander around, that we are prepared in the word and that we could be able to answer somebody if they have a question. See, I'm, I'm trying to get that way because for the longest time I haven't been ready. But the Lord is helping me more and more and more and more. And I'm finding that I'm able to cite things from the word of God. When somebody asks me a question specifically, I'm an old guy, I can't remember the exact text or the exact scripture, but he's helping me. He's making me better at it to go out and do his business. And we are called into a spiritual warfare, brothers and sisters. So don't be that lazy individual sitting back and doing nothing because the Bible tells us that we are in a spiritual warfare. And that spiritual warfare is over the souls, over yours and those of the individuals that don't know and have not given themselves over to Jesus who sacrificed his life freely and God who offers kinship, adoption freely, that he, they all can be his children come back to the fold and say, yes, I believe Jesus. And that he then makes them an adopted heir and joint heir with Jesus, Savior, God in us, God with us, anointed of God, Christ who came and died. He's made us all heirs and joint heirs. If we accept that he is what the Bible tells us. Remember, John 3, 16, if you choose to believe, then you are saved to eternal life. If you choose not to believe, I'll have a free will choice. I would pray that you listen and not be that, don't be that slothful Christian or claim to be a Christian. You tell everybody on Sunday you're a Christian or when you're not caught in the pool hall or the strip club sucking down a beer over in a dark corner and... Nobody from church sees you sneak out a side door or you get to a point where you just don't care. Be that honest about the word of God. You have on the breastplate of righteousness, which will protect you, the shield of faith, the fiery darts and slings and arrows that come at us. You can use a shield, and if you drop your shield, then you, you have the breastplate of righteousness can help you, the helmet of salvation to remind you to protect your thoughts and ways, and then you pick up that shield of faith. Remember what Jesus told us about faith. If you have faith, the size of a grain of mustard seed. Mustard seeds, if you haven't seen it, are really, really, really tiny. A grain of mustard seed might have 
be the same size of the head of a pin. You ever see that? That's pretty small. But it doesn't, you don't require, oh, a great big old boulder of faith. All you have to do is have faith in the one who provides for you. And just that little bit of faith that size the grain of mustard seed, you have faith in God who is greater than all things. And it just was like, let's go back to the Old Testament again. We're gonna go back to those spies that went into the promised land. And they came back with a negative report. What was mostly so significant about that? This is not a test question, it's just a remembrance question. Why is that so significant? What is so significant is that when they came in, there were 12 that went in. You had Joshua, who became the next leader of the nation. And you have Caleb, which was a very dear friend, more of a brother to him. And you had there, and then you had the other 10 tribes had a representation. 12 went into the promised land, 12 spies to see what was there and see. God allowed this. And they came back with hangers of grapes so big, they were grapes were the size of pomegranates. They were huge. And they were carrying in these raffers. They, they had to carry them over sh their shoulders and the clump of grapes were hanging in between. Land flowing with milk and honey that God said that he would deliver to them. And they had all that good stuff that brought back and everybody took a bite and people were eating on the stuff and sharing. But then you had the 10 of the tribes. And just like we do many times, and what I'm, I get caught up in doing now, and I admit this, I'm speaking into my little floating mirror. I share this with you. When I talk and I share a word that I have this mirror floating in front of me so that I'm not just talking at y'all. I'm, I'm speaking and sharing things because many times things are true for me as they are for anybody else. But the truth being that, that I, I get caught up and right now through this thing going on with work and medical issues and things that happen, I'm 65 years old. But the thing of it is that God is my strength. The Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And that I hold on to. I believe that God is with me, even on this all this negative stuff that goes on and what Satan wants me to hold on to. But here's the point. Let's get back over to the spies. So they came down out of Canaan. They delivered all this really nice stuff that people were taking bites of and sharing. And, you know, of course, people in the back crowd, I want some, I want some, and they didn't get it. But then when it came time for them to speak to their people and they all gathered and they were professing this, report out to the nations, 10 of the 12 that went in, it was all negative. And then you had, 
and just like it is today with individuals today. So the Bible is as relevant today as it was then. And the word came out as it was written then. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. And just like in the hall of faith, you have individuals that saw God's shortcomings and God couldn't possibly do that. My faith isn't big enough. What? How much bigger faith do you have to have in order to get something accomplished? You didn't listen to Jesus when he talked to you? You didn't listen to our Lord when he talked to you? Faith, the size of a grain of mustard seed, is sufficient that you would cast this mountain into the sea and it would be done. And I've shared with you before, I'm going to share with you again, that many times we see these mountains, these things, and, and why would God just toss a, a mountain into the sea? Okay, let's, let's clarify and understand these things. If what you declare is righteous and upright and in alignment with the word of God, God will do these things. He will do these things. And you also have to understand, too, that it's according to the will of God. Jesus taught us how to pray. Remember, he teaches us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You can find that in the book of Luke. I believe it's Luke. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you agree in righteousness and truth that heaven, the angels, they will be in concert with you and they will agree with you. So whatever is being bound and you've declared it to be bound, it will be so. And when you declare it to be loose, it will be so. So what we have to do is we have to have faith in that. And there are many that do not and will not. And they want all things done the way they want it. It's God's will. God is the sovereign authority. And there are things that he tells us to just grab onto with that faith and belief and, and declare it. And then there's some things that require God's ponderance, which is momentarily because he already knows that it may not be good for us. And he doesn't want us to be into that. And he wants to protect us. Why? Because he's our loving father. And he wants us to be protected. And it's for that sake that he may say no. And that is the way it is with God. He loves us, he protects us, and he will do so. And it is by his authority that anything and everything is done And it's not always according to what we want. Well, that's kind of unfortunate that there's so many 
grab onto things and and they want to declare that the Bible is not true because they didn't get their way and they're kicking and stomping. I, I shared with you that pervert. He's up there because he's declaring that the Bible is teaching incorrectly. And then there was another pervert who was declaring that the Bible proves that Jesus is a liar because he didn't come. I think he used the ambiguous word soon. And I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Peter used to always grab onto that word whenever Jesus said it. But remember this too, and so many forget this. That a day or a thousand years is as a day to God. See, because we all believe and we think that God works on our time clock and our calendar. It doesn't work that way. So what happens, a lot of people get this notion in their brain that seven calendar days, God created the heavens and the earth. Not that he couldn't. Not that he didn't. But I'm kind of thinking it didn't take a day as we think of a day on our calendar in 24 hours. I just, that's my perception. Doesn't mean it's true. That's just my perception. And it may very well be in seven days. Seven calendar days as we know the days, 24 hours in that day. But something we have to keep in mind, always keep in mind, that everything is according to the will of God and on his time point. And these individuals didn't have that in their mindset when they went into Canaan and they came back and said, man, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers and they're just going to stomp on us. They're going to destroy us. And that faith, the size of a grain of mustard seed, they didn't even think about it. They didn't think about the power and the authority and who their God is. They just thought about the giants or those that were living in that land who were so much more powerful and they had to be more powerful than God. Look how big they are for crying out loud. And that's not forget our forward-looking thought process and that David's going to encounter Goliath who's going to be in the lineage of these giants and So what they did is they diminished God rather than looking to his power and his strength and, and that grain of mustard seed, and that's all it would take because their God, their almighty God is more powerful. They diminished God's authority and his power and strength, and they took that away. So when God said that they're going to wander around instead of going right into the promised land. And everybody says, why would he do that? Well, why would they turn around and say that God wasn't capable? God delivered them from Egypt. They whined and cried about being in Egypt and being under bondage and having to do all that heavy labor because Egypt was afraid of them. And that Pharaoh that was so good to Joseph and let them come in and be sheltered that they brought in the entire nation. And they lived in the land of Goshen, under the protection of Egypt because they had grain, they had done, they put things up in stores, 
because I knew that a famine and drought was coming because the dream was revealed to Joseph and Joseph had them put things up and they had enough to share, so they did. And they honored Joseph by taking the children in and they fed them, let them live there. And then that Pharaoh died and the new Pharaoh listened to all his counselors and said, oh my goodness gracious, look at all of them. And they're gonna come up, they're gonna rise up and they're gonna take over and then it's not gonna be Egypt anymore. So then they imprisoned everybody, but then God sent Moses. And of course, Moses, we know the story of that, that he gave God this whole list of reasons why he couldn't go and do what God called him to do. He had a speech impediment. His walk wasn't straight. Had all these issues. And of course, God got over on him. Moses, 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 Moses. I hear you. I hear this list. I hear everything, reason why you're not gonna go. But here's the only thing you gotta do. You take your brother Aaron, who's really eloquent speaker, who's got education in, in Torah and who, who's able to do things. You take him and then you give him the staff. You make sure that he does exactly what I tell you to do and he does exactly the way I tell you to do it. If not, then there's gonna be a problem, but you have him do exactly what I tell you to do and follow what you instruct him. The only thing, the only thing you have to do, Moses, is carry the stick. That's all you gotta do, just carry the stick. And it'll be okay. And he followed everything that God was doing and, and things were going, but then of course he became like the Israel. They were whining and crying about everything everything. They, oh, why did we leave Egypt? Why did, why did we have to listen to Moses? Why did we have to, why did we listen to God? God brought us out of there. Look where he's, he's, he told Moses to bring us out. Now look at where we're at. Now we got this sea in front of us and, and no place to go. And you got all the Egyptians are coming up behind us. They're going to kill us and drive us into drowning. Oh man. And then of course, God told Moses, just lift the stick, Moses. Everything will be okay. And he stretched it over the sea, and the sea parted. They crossed the sea, and their feet were dry. They didn't walk through waist-deep water. They didn't walk through puddles and poodles and all that other stuff. And, and there was, it said that they crossed, and their feet were dry. And I share with you again that there, the number was not just the nation of Israel that left, but there were individuals that believed in God, they believed that what the Israel was teaching and professing and they wanted that for themselves and they left with them. They were not from the nation of Israel, but they came out. This is why the Bible talks about the strangers in your camp or the strangers in your house. It talks about those individuals that decided, just like if you go all the way down and you go into the story of Ruth and Boaz. Ruth was a Moabite, but she declared to Naomi because she was not gonna leave Naomi's side. Her own daughters left her. But Ruth, who is not her earthly daughter, confessed to her and professed that she wanted to have faith in her God. She said, I will not leave you and your God will be my God. Your faith is my faith and my, your belief in God will be my belief and that is how it is. And God honored her. That, brothers and sisters, biblically, is the lineage of our Lord who came as an earthly man from a humble beginning, very humble beginning, 
his lineage all the way back. And you have these individuals that cried out for all the complaints and God took them across, constant complaining. And then you have the individuals that diminished the strength, power, and might of God and said that, oh man, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers and this is gonna step on us. God doesn't have, God's not powerful enough to do that, except that he's powerful enough to part the Red Sea and keep it back so that their feet would be dry when they walked across. That was possible, but not possible to route these giants from this land where they were at, to the land that he promised to them. He was not powerful enough to do that, but powerful enough to do all these other things. So in agitation, God had them wander around the wilderness. However, he fed them, he clothed them, he was still with them. And again, I share with this, how many of you, any of you can go into your closet and find something 40 years old that you have? I don't think I can do it. I've been around a while. There might be one or two things in there that are when my earlier days. Oh, I got some, I got a couple things that my father had actually from World War II that are his that I have. Okay, so there's a couple things. But let let me share this with you. How many of you can go into your closet and find an article of clothing or a pair of shoes that are over 40 years old that haven't actually just worn down to nothing and become threadbare? They wandered for 40 years. They didn't have to fix their clothes and they didn't have to repair their shoes. And he fed them. He fed them and clothed them. And he surrounded them. He was in front of them by day in a pillar of cloud. And with them at night, a pillar of fire, they could see it. They could see that he was with them. He made sure that they knew. But they wandered because they decided to follow the untruths. And then, of course, there's Moses, who was, who was in that Hall of Faith thing. And then you have Sarai when she, remember, Abram was renamed Abraham. And Sarai, his wife, was renamed Sarah. And she had spied on her and her husband and she scorned the Lord because she was laughing at something that he had promised her and she overheard the conversation she shouldn't have been privy to anyway. It wasn't none of her business, she shouldn't have been there. But because of her lack in faith in God, I mean, the whole situation turned around and you had Hagar, but the angel of the Lord came to Hagar and God honored her and her truth and her strength in order to do what she was guided to do. And Agar built an altar and called him Adonai Arroy. My God who sees me. Understand this, that God sees you all the time. When you're on top of the mountain and you're waving your arms around and maybe you're not feeling so great and you're down in the valley, you're feeling low because you had a family loved one passed away. So now you're feeling, God's down there grieving with you. David writes in Psalm, doesn't matter where you go, you can go to the widest, the farthest, widest sea and where you go over on the wings of, and he's gonna be there. And the deepest sea is gonna be there. Top of the mountain, he's gonna be there. If you decide that you're going through a living hell, a lot of people use that term when they walk on, on this earth and they have bosses that are really hard on them, he's with you. 
doesn't leave you, never leaves. You have to remember that. Remember that. He is always with us. Moses forgot, he was just so tired of hearing about the children whining and crying about all this stuff. When God told him to go out and touch the stone, he, he did that for a reason. Because Moses was doing all this stuff for Israel and doing all these things. And, and I think that, I believe, it doesn't say exactly that in the scripture, but interpolation, reading between the lines and seeing the way things were going, is that I believe that he wanted Moses to have them see something that they hadn't been paying attention to. However, Moses decided to do it his way. He went out and he was so agitated with the nation of Israel. He was so agitated about what they had been doing and their negativity and all this stuff. He went out and he smote the stone with a staff. This was totally opposite of what God told him to do. God told him to touch the stone. But he went out and he did it the way he'd been doing it the whole time. Phew, Holy Spirit, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So he did this with the nation of Israel and he did that so that they could see. But God didn't want him to do it that way. He told him to touch the stone. He went out and he whacked the stone with a staff because that's the way he had been doing it. Because in the midst of all their griping, whining and complaining, he went out and he struck stones and drew up water. But this time they were on the edge and he said, he didn't come out and tell Moses, but he, I believe this is what he wanted to do. As he wanted them to see that it's not all, and, and this has to do with that still small voice. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for this. So it has to do with that still small voice. When he sent his prophet out to the face of the mountain, who incidentally was on the run hiding because Jezebel was going to come and do to him what he and his followers had done to her prophets and counselors. And he was on the face of the mountain and you had the thunderings, the lightnings, the earthquake, the winds, the rainstorm, and, and all those things that were going on. And then when he went into the cave, he had the still small voice. God spoke to him anyway in a still small voice. The voice was lowered. He could still hear the voice of God. So, when Moses was out there leading them all and because he disobeyed and he didn't touch the stone to show that God was still God, who is God and is still God, who is sovereign and Lord over all things and that still small voice and touching the stone, Moses was so agitated with all those things that are going on around him and the people whining and crying and screaming and hollering. He went out there in his agitation and he struck the stone with the staff. God brought out water. He delivered the water, but he told Moses, he said, because of your disobedience, you will not enter the promised land with the nation of Israel. You won't be allowed. And some might think, well, man, that's a pretty harsh reality. Well, no, it's just reality and truth. He disobeyed God and he did what he allowed himself to become instead of the sovereignty of God. God told him to touch it and he struck it. 
And then, of course, there's going to be the, wait a minute, what's the point in that? God still gave one? Yeah, he gave one because he still loved him. This is what God does. God speaks to us in a still small voice and he provides because he loves us. It doesn't require the thunder and lightning and all the noise and all that. It doesn't require that. God still does things. And sometimes the provision is with a small voice. Brothers and sisters, God watches over us all the time. And just like when Paul was writing the, the letter to Timothy, I shared that with you, that his second letter to Timothy, he was in prison in Rome. They were going to execute him. And he was there. And I shared with you this the second letter that he wrote to Timothy is, is pretty powerful. And this is what he wrote to Timothy in this letter before he died. Pretty powerful letters, and there's some things that highlighted in here. But this is very powerful and very important that all these things that go on and all these things that are going on around us. Second letter of Paul to Timothy. The second epistle of Paul, the apostle to Timothy, chapter one, verse seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began we are called of God if we decide that Jesus Christ is indeed his only begotten son and we believe that he came for us for our sakes and we want to have faith in God. This is what Paul's talking about here. He's in prison getting ready to die. And he knows he's going to be martyred. This time he knows. Most all of his letters, incidentally, were written by either house arrest or while he was in prison or even in chain. And this particular time he was getting ready to die. And he knew it. But he still wrote to lift up Timothy, who was a young pastor, in the church of Ephesus, which was surrounded by idolatry, pagan worship, pagan belief. And it was a hard church, but he still wrote to uplift Timothy and share with him in the faith and remind him that God did not give us the spirit of fear, but to have that faith, the size of grain of mustard seed and all things will be done by him. And remind us that we are called with a holy calling. And not because we're so goody-goody. And God does not tell any of us. He said, okay, you clean up your act. You get clean. You smell good. You use deodorant. You put on a nice cologne. And you get all smelly-smelly. And all that will be good. And then I'll come and I'll hug you. And I'll pull you in and tell you what you got to do. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. 
God does not wait for us to become holy before he can use us in a holy calling. God calls us because he knows what the character of our hearts is. And then through our belief in Jesus Christ and faith in him, then he makes us holy and he puts us on our little errand that he's got us to do. You have to believe that. You have to understand that. You have to have that desire and strength to do what God calls us to do. Don't be that lazy, slothful, self-proclaimed Christian that says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but then you don't do anything to show it. And you leave people hanging a lot. Don't do that. Brothers and sisters, I pray for you every day, all the time. You're in my prayers, my going out, my coming in, going out, starting my day and going into this thing that we have going on. And, and when I come in and lay down and rest, you're there too. I've got this um, thing that I'm going on. Any that would desire to do so, I would appreciate prayers because these um, there's some issues that are going on. I haven't shared everything completely with you, but there's some medical issues going on. And at my age, I think what the devil's trying to do is he's really trying to stir me up and get me agitated about being on my own and the things that are being done that are not being done because... Mammon is not good to their word for a lot of a lot of things, and I've learned this through the course of my life. But what I have learned is that empirical evidence is that God is always good. God always does what he says he's going to do. So I need to look into the clarity of his promises and remind be reminded of that. And I do. I stand. I hold on the promises of God and just say the devil's working really hard. And let me share this with you too, and this is truth. The closer you walk with God and the more you desire to be with God and then you go into his word and you know that he's there and for you, the harder the devil works at trying to get you disrupted in that and interfere with that without white noise interference that he puts out. And he tries to get you distracted, distracted from what you should be focused on. This is a key phrase, distracted from. That's what he works on. He's a brilliant tactician. He is, and for those of you that don't want to buy that and don't want to believe the truth, I pray for you. Satan is a brilliant tactician, and he will have you in the midst of something, and then he will distract you and pull your focus away from God, and then he gets you to see all the stuff that's going on. Just like when Peter jumped out of the boat and he started walking to Jesus, what happened? He got distracted. He got distracted by the wind and the waves, and then he started to sink. And Jesus reached down and pulled him up because he became distracted. Brothers and sisters, I pray for you on my going out, my coming in every day.